Eight minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. We shine a spotlight now on uh, the latest developments in the world of money and power. And uh, Snesipo joins us uh, for our business wrap. Good evening to you, Snesipo, and welcome. Um, it's, uh, I'm getting you. How are you? I'm all right, all right. I was visiting your neck of the woods this weekend. Really? Whereabouts? And the man Fletcher. Ah, and was about Fletcher. <laughs> no, yes, I don't know your, your neck of the woods. No, man, I'm from that, Queenstown. I saw a sign that says Queenstown. I saw a sign that says Queenstown. Oh, that's so far. Okay, all right, all right. Maybe I think people on Twitter must help you there with a the map uh, so that you can <laughs> see the distance between Mount Fletcher, which is not too far from Lesotho, uh, and Queenstown. Snezibo, what's happening at Naspers? Uh, I'm seeing the lights are being blown out there by... Uh, a lot of those e-commerce platforms, as uh, more and more of us spend more time at home, uh, but also, I guess, uh, um, buy stuff online and have it delivered. Yes. I, I, you know what? Um, um, that's just released results, and they showed results of the Take-A-Lot group, which I think is very, very important. That includes Take-A-Lot, Mr. Delivery, as well as Superbillist. And they all were double-digit in growth. The minimum was uh, 45%. I think it's the more time we spend at home and because of social distancing, the more we get acclimatized to online shopping. So I will say that uh, working from home has made me, and doing everything from home for those those past year, three months, has made me shop a lot more from Take A Lot than I did before. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of those situations where consumers are shifting, consumers are shifting... Um, spending through a different channel that being online. So even if you compare um, MassMart, um, which is game, mm. game and macro, if you compare the other retailers, everyone has, seen, has been seeing double-digit growth in online as consumers seek to socially distance mm. Mm. when doing their shopping. And um, so what was good about the results, and this is the thing that blows my mind, is that they earned well over one billion US dollars of revenue, and they're still loss making. <laughs> they're still, which just shows you the difficulty of online. One billion. I don't think people get conceptualize this, and I was like, no, guys, they their sales grew by more than sixty four percent, and they moved to one billion US dollars, and they're still not making money. So is, is this one of those marriage. business models when Asnesipo, where you probably, I guess, uh, this stage is about gaining as much of um, the potential captive market as you can and, and you hope, in, you know, on a wing and a prayer that at some stage it will turn profitable? Yeah, so their losses, um, their losses have, have shortened, but you're still loss-making. It's the same problem Uber has. It's the same thing most on-demand platforms is has. So the business model basically is, Get market share, mm. get market share, and then protect that market share, and then eventually grow profitable. But if we think about the fact that the business has been around for almost, I think, 10 years, over 10 years, actually, even 10 years, 10 years, and you still have this problem after a decade. And if NASPERS wasn't pouring money into this left, right, and center, mm. you, you wouldn't be where you are, which shows you the difficulty of online. And when we Understand that online bank, online shopping is a mere fraction. It is a rounding error in South Africa. Mm, it's a rounding error yeah. if we have to. If you think about it, um, how many billions does ShopRite do, Spa do, check, um, Spa do, Willys do, and you've got to take a lot just on one billion. 
Our and it does, blend. I mean, it's important it's to, support to say that. It, it, I think it's very important to mention that because it places into perspective uh, sometimes a sense on certain platforms that, you know, e-commerce has effectively taken the lunch of some of the more traditional channels. And uh, even the banks will tell you I, I, that's not necessarily true. I mean, uh, just based on some of the data that runs through them. But let's stay on, on the e-commerce space. Amazon Prime Day. Now, the challenge. What what is Amazon Prime Day? Um, and I guess how has how have some of the global supply chain challenges affected, um, you know, Prime Day this year around? Okay, for those of you who are not aware, um, Amazon Prime Day is the annual Amazon um, uh, annual sale. Mm. So um, it begins on Monday. It actually begins today. Actually, I need to go check Amazon myself. Right, guys. <laughs> I got you. Um, I'm getting like I'm just thinking to myself. I thought uh, I just have been so busy. So Amazon Prime Day, it's literally like their Black Friday, where they have this annual day where they um, cut um, their costs. But because of global supply chain issues, specifically through the the lockdown, through the lockdown, um, there haven't been as many. How can I put it? It's not expected to be as nice as it was before. Mm, mm. And, and and let's talk about that. I mean, I guess it's not only just the global supply chain issues, but um, this this reality of advertising costs or like auctions for certain types of search ads on the Amazon platform, the price of that has seemingly gone up as well. Yes, it has. It has. Um, a lot of things have gone up in terms of you you think that um, to buy search ads because so what happens? Let me explain what a search ad is. Let's say I'm looking for a Canon camera. Mm. So the advertising company is supposed to appear on top of, which is what take a lot don't really do as much, but Amazon is amazing at it. So for your search to appear at the top, it costs you. So therefore, you're not able to um, um, to, 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 to 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 charge as much because search um, this Amazon um, um, top ad costs you about thirty percent of the product price. That's how expensive it is. Huh. So it gives you no. It's because how many people visit Amazon? I, I don't think you understand. Like, so it's it's different to running a Google ad. Let me just if I'm going to Amazon, I have the intention to buy. Running on Google, I'm just searching. I'm browsing. If I'm going on Amazon, I have an intention to buy. Hence, though, the search on Amazon should be valued higher. Mm, and if mm. you think of how many customers are on Amazon, I'm not talking 1 million, 2 million. I'm talking hundreds sure, of millions. Sure, sure, sure. So I, it makes it quite very lucrative yeah. and quite strategic because you have a captive audience. And captive these guys, captive. you know, Snesipo, I mean, the vertical integration for me is just on this particular score is something else, right? I give you the platform. I also advertise for you. But in some instances, I also have my own goods competing with yours on the same platform. Um, it's something similar you also see, I guess, in many of the other, you know, Asian guys, Flipkart and, uh, you know, some of the other platforms as well. But, but what does this mean if you are somebody who is listing your product on Amazon? Because it's quite clear <laughs> that for Amazon, Sancho Imaliaza, clearly. Oh, God, no, you're listing your product. <laughs> you're listing your product. It, 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 it's stupid not to. It really, it is, you must consider the cost of doing business, like bribery and corruption, the cost of doing business. No, but like, mm. on, a very real, on a very real perspective, it is idiotic not to 
if you're a retailer primarily targeted at the U.S. consumer and the Western consumer to not list your product on Amazon. Mm. Considering that, one of the things that Amazon is incredibly good at, and although sometimes I'm happy I take a lot, my friends in the U.S. tell me that Amazon has perfected this to an art. It's actually like, that's why they run a slave factory. And their ability to do the logistics for you, and especially if you're a small retailer wanting to attract an online audience, mm. online audience, they really do package everything for you. They, hence, I say it is silly not to. Yo. Yeah. It is silly not to. And that's the thing that Take A Lot doesn't do. That Take A Lot still depends on their third-party resellers mm. to, to, for logistics. They're not there in terms of the efficiency of Amazon because when some of my mates described it, so I, I had a call with one of my mates earlier today. When she describes it, I'm just like, this is, no wonder this thing is a plantation. It's insane because the way that they can do the coverage, so even if you, and I buy things from Amazon, I've bought some things at Amazon, the fact that I can order something and it will arrive next week and I'm in South Africa and there's three clear customs and you still have retailers telling you you're only deliver in 10 to 14 days. Hi, guys. Hmm. Just, I, I just want you to understand the level of efficiency we're dealing with. Well, I guess, you know, um, whenever I hear that word, efficiency, um, there's always, I guess, a very interesting entire market structure behind what might come across as convenient and efficient. But I think you make a very good point uh, that uh, even when people do draw comparisons between, uh, you know, take a lot here at home and many of the other global platforms, that there's a lot of distinctions and differences that also account and uh, can be felt in the customer experience. But let's shift away from e-commerce for a bit. Let's today, some end. Uh, PPC. Now, these are the guys who have, uh, you know, uh, operations uh, across the continent. And uh, they've certainly been in sort of tough nick of late, even considering a rights offer. But it seems, I guess, tables might have turned um, and they've slashed their debt here. Uh, is that more than half or nearly half? Uh, well, so basically, they need to thank baby Jesus that the rent, the rent appreciated, number one. So remember, they had they set up and they set up a, a, a business um, outside of South Africa. The problem with that was that um, the construction cost uh, blew, ballooned, and it wasn't doing as well as they thought it would be. Remember that the entity is called it's in the DRC, the DRC, and part of the, the issue was that instead of project financing it, which is what you want them to do. Uh, which is what you do. They put their balance sheet on the line, so they were li- they were liable for all the debt. Mm. So, so a few things happened. So I noticed, um, yeah, Kuma quoted the, um, the, the there was a French twenty years twenty four article, but it's quite misleading because they don't talk about the rationale. So they were able to restructure the debt because of one thing. The first thing first was currency appreciation. So they had quite a bit of currency appreciation. They also had um, the ability to, they've sold a few assets, um, they limestone business um, as well as another one of their businesses mm. in the quarry as well. And that also helped um, alleviate the debt constraint. But the big thing that they were able to do, what they were able to do for me personally, was that is them is that it's getting out of the recourse. So in the restructuring with the debtors, um, with the um, with the banks so that they were able to get out of recourse, which I think for me makes it quite a bit of an issue because ultimately, if your balance sheet is on the line, it's 
they should have, they should have, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They should have actually allocated the data to remain, to remain um, within the DRC population and no, and no, and no see through to SA operations. Mm. Uh, and how do you think markets would have responded? I mean, I think we, we certainly did see, um, you know, quite a favorable outcome. Uh, when we take a look at the share price in early trade today. So, I mean, if they had done it that way, uh, do you think it would have sent the same signal? Um, so the, the share price has gone, has gone a bit up, but I like to always say that, um, I always say that, you know what, the share price has actually doubled year to date. And you know what, they're trying to do all that they can. But for me, they still very much, um, they still very much, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, a real right offer target because ultimately even if you look at their results the results that they released they only had a three percent increase in revenue so they had an inflation adjustment a lot of the profitability that people are seeing reported in the results are having to do with actually non-core activities and non-operational sends announcements and i think that's also why i don't know why people are clapping you're clapping for what exactly for me i always say that share price needs to move on um on real issues an operation because they had a fair value adjustment. Uh, they had fair value gain. Um, they had a fair value loss. They, they had an accounting issue. Like all of these things, um, they had a value, a profitable on a put option. Mm. None of these are cash flow. So a financial um, engineering, basically. Yes, okay. and, 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 it's, and it's never real. And, mm. and like, like I said, it's in contrast to what we were, we were talking about earlier with e-commerce, where there's real money sure, moving, sure, sure, real sure. money moving, operations, it's pure operational. And that's what I think we should always look at is in terms of your operations. And, okay. and remember, the PPC is tied to the... Um, is tied to construction. Yes, yes, infrastructure. And how that looking. Exactly. Until that does... Um, a recovery we're mm. still going to like i said they're forever going to be a right off the yeah. target because ultimately you can slash your debt you can cut your costs you can have a, a good year of um financial things working your favor mm. fair value adjustment but ultimately you need to grow sure. your operational okay let's pause on that one Snesipo, because i think you you raise a very interesting point i mean i guess that's what some of us say when we talk about financialization this idea that you know, you can rejig and do all manner of things on, on your capital structure. And that signals some confidence, but I guess at an operational level, very very little shifting there. What do you make of, uh, I guess, uh, some of the politics of, of our next issue here, which is the land question? Now, it seems the ANC and the EFF uh, set uh, for some thoroughgoing dialogue over the next while around uh, issues of tenure. So when uh, the land... Um, is given to those who rightfully uh, own it or who have it as their birthright. Um, what tenure form do we take? Is it all? Does it all vest in the state? Some form of a full state custodianship? Are we talking about private tenure? Are we talking about communal tenure? Are we talking about permission to occupy, as we see in many other parts of uh, our country? Yeah. What do you make of this one? Yeah. So it was actually quite interesting when I was reading about this. Um, um, for me, custody under the so so who should hold it um then duna or, or what i honestly believe that it should actually go to the people i believe a community structure okay. is far better than 
the state. So not individual tenure, but a community structure, so like a CPA, Community Property Association. Yes. I think that's what it's I called. I think it, for me, yeah, I, think I, I yeah, find right. that mm. the best model. Mm. And I'll tell you why. It's because ultimately you want the people who live on the land to be the benefactors of the land, those yes. who can see it. Yeah. And the further away someone is from the land, the less likely they are to make decisions to the benefit. Mm. Absentee landlords, huh? No, but that, but but dude, that's exactly what I'm thinking. You, and you know, and you know, we've, I don't think I think we've had the discussion before when when we talk about this land restitution. I fundamentally believe those who live in it should have full rights of ownership. That was out, yeah. And those who work it. <laughs> no, 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 but I do because ultimately, you sure. if the state holds it, you can't borrow it, you can't borrow yes. from it, you can't leverage yourself, you can't grow, you can't. And re- again, as much as you hate my capitalism thinking, I still believe that full rights of ownership unlock the ability to grow. Let me challenge uh, that for. I mean, I, I think I agree with the CPA model um, and a sort of a. Uh, I think we need to be a bit more creative in the tenure forms that we think about. It's not just about individual private tenure. But let me pose this question, uh, which I think we've seen in successive waves of the land uh, restitution program. In many cases, people opt for money, right? They opt for cash. Now, if that's already a revealed preference, if I can put it that way, right, then surely the extension of that would be, you know, if I get individual tenure and I can go and sort of leverage that at the bank, um, then, you know, the likelihood of some default there or you, I guess, taking some money which might reverse the program if the land shifts from or is retransferred to many of those who held the land before. Um, how, how do we think about that if, if, if we are to think about private tenure? Because a lot of people make this argument that give people title deeds so that they can go and get a loan. And then I guess the, the story stops there rather than maybe unpacking what then happens under conditions of default. You know, does the state get first right of refusal? How does it work? But think about it. Okay, I'm going to take it back to you. What's happened? Remember the ruling that just came out on the Nguanyama Trust? Mm, okay, that's a bit different, but yes. Yeah. No, 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 it's not different, but it just shows you when someone's far removed from the land and you're having to... If we think of the fact that most people have opted for money, why have they opted for money? Well, in many cases, I guess, you know, there's an issue of the capital, right? What happens post-settlement support in some cases? I mean, I know of a case, for instance... Um, uh, out in Kabecha, uh, the real Kabecha, in Woma, uh, you know, where I guess, you know, in some instances, the, the land that they lived on now is maybe a shopping mall or a golf course or something. So there's all of those dynamics. But 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 the point I'm making, Snesipo, is different to the issue of rural barons levying land, uh, uh, you know, on what traditionally should be traditional communal land and levying rents and leases and all of that. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm arguing is that what then happens in this argument where, yeah, so getting the land and getting it via title deed allows you to go and borrow. Are we taking that to its logical conclusion? What happens if, you know, my crop the one year bombs out and I have a potential to default on that? Does that reverse the land program? And if so, how do we deal with that? Mm-hmm. Okay, my thinking has not gone that far ahead yet. <laughs> No, I'm not saying about my case, but but I was thinking is that my so how I, I, I envision it and may not be the correct way is that the reason why I want people to have full ownership of the land, mm. full ownership of the land through from a community structure, from an allocation of units is because I fundamentally believe that you um, the option to borrow is not necessarily there because for me, a community structure has different ways of funding. 
mm. outside of the debt in that the community, it, it's sort of um, a levy to the community. So the community structure itself has sure. capital flow in order to support um, the land payments. Mm. Okay. That's how I looked at it. So it wasn't just a combination of just pure debt instrument, but there's an mm. element of um, quasi-equity funding. Yeah, yeah. That's how I looked at it from a structure thing sure. for it to go flow. And I think sometimes we think of it, and the reason why I, I mentioned the Gonyama Trust, because sometimes we think of it, because some of the Gonyama Trust is land is also located in mines. So it's not just um, when we talk about productive land from a rural perspective, but we also need to think of land that is just hmm. sitting there or land that's in a shopping center. How yeah, do sure, we sure. how do we manage that structure yeah. itself as well? Because there's so many open-ended questions. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, it's, 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 it's I, no perfect solution. Yeah, there isn't. And, and, and I, I think... The idea of thinking about yeah, it yeah. is, is where it allows also me to think because it also tests um, and challenges some of my assumptions mm, of how things will mm. work as and well. I, and I do think, Nesipo, I mean, you're right. The, we must not never try and simplify what is complex. There is a certain layer of complexity when it comes to this issue, especially if we think about tenure. I mean, I remember speaking to folks at the Land Bank a few years ago, and they were already starting to think creatively around how do you finance different non-title uh, type of tenure forms. Uh, be it from an insurance perspective, so crop insurance, all of that kind of stuff, right through uh, to the working capital support that many farmers in collective schemes, PTO, uh, communal land, that kind of thing. And I think that discussion has to move in tandem with a discussion that looks at all of these different tenure forms. Uh, but my view is, even if you, you go the private tenure route, um, there needs to be some backstop capability where if you want to go and sell now because you need to pay off that loan or you want to sort of move on, that at least, you know, states should have some first right of refusal uh, because you don't want a situation where you reverse the gains of the program because, you know, uh, uh, we know the financial sector. But let's leave it there. It's always a pleasure. And uh, certainly I think maybe we need, this is a conversation we're going to have to unpack uh, uh, mm. with uh, many of the uh, political parties involved, but also some of, uh, you know, uh, bright minds like yourself uh, to try and make sense of it. But uh, let's leave it there. As always, a pleasure. And go Pleasure. Snezbo Maninjwa there speaking to us. Uh, she is a uh, independent market commentator, analyst and a CA, helping us with our wrap of the top business stories.